0: Welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So, the last few days has been a great lesson. Uh, my wife flew in to to New York for a day. So, okay, a little delay on the plane. And we decided instead of her coming on a 6 o'clock flight Wednesday morning, you got to get up at 3.45 and you're so tired, we'll put her on a quarter to 10 flight. She'll be home at 12.15, 12.30. Very perfect. Except high winds in Newark. High winds in Newark means they're slowing down the whole airport and her flight was delayed a good two and a half hours now she gets home, it's almost 3 o'clock in the morning, and you still didn't get your good night's sleep. So a friend of mine told me today that planes and the weather is God's way of reminding us who's in charge. And I, I have uh, some kids coming from the East Coast for the weekend, and one should be here soon, because they left last night, there's some storm going to snow through Pennsylvania, upstate New York. It's supposed to, maybe it'll snow here tomorrow morning a little bit. But it may cancel flights. And if it cancels the flight, she ain't coming. How's she going to get here? So we all make plans. And God has his way of saying, just remember, I am in charge. If I don't want the plane to go, the plane's not going. If I want you to be delayed... If I don't want you to go somewhere for the weekend, if I want you to go somewhere, it's a good reminder to us that we pretend to be in charge, but of course we're not in charge. And with that thought, let's get into this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is Peku is the last Torah portion in the Book of Exodus. And the word itself, pokad, is a fascinating word. First of all, it has multiple translations. It's the same word that's used that God says, that really Joseph says to the Jewish people. The code word to know who's going to take you out of Egypt is pakad, pakadati, which means I will certainly remember you. So pakad means remember. It's also used in when we appoint people. That word to the va'yifkaid or pakad also means to appoint It's also used for counting. But interesting enough, uh, Risham Shemafel Hirsch says in this week's Torah portion, the word Bekudeh means final reckoning. And it was the final accounting of all the money that came in. Now, so you would think final reckoning, you know, okay, what, what kind of number are we talking about? And the interesting thing is we're not talking about a very large number. In the scheme of things, when we try to figure out how much gold and silver and copper was used in the tabernacle and the Mishkan, it pales in comparison to what King Solomon pays for the temple. First of all, the tabernacle has one um, menorah, one candelabra. Solomon had ten. The Mishkan had one uh, table. Temple has ten. And King Solomon's building these humongous cherubs in the, in the Holy of Holies. And then who knows the walls and the decorations. The temple was that already. You want to talk about money. That was a humongous outlay. And King David put away lots of money during his life so the temple would be able to be built. We'll talk about that later. However, what is fascinating is that even though the tabernacle was not so expensive, I mean, there was gold, it was beautiful, gold and silver and copper and the tapestries, it was beautiful, right? If you would have seen it, you would have been in awe, but not compared to the temple, right? But not one part of the tabernacle is lost. I mean, we don't know where it is, but the, the Talmud tells us it's a verse that even the wooden beams... King David put somewhere under the mountain where the temple was built. We know for sure the ark was put away. Um, The likelihood is that almost everything was put away from the original, and anything that was captured by, whether it was the Greeks or the Romans or anybody else, those those were duplicates, but not the original ones. Right? So think about it. Let's think about this for a second. People will spend huge amounts. I'm I'm not saying they shouldn't spend money to build a beautiful temple, to build a beautiful synagogue. I'm not saying they shouldn't make it as beautiful as possible. Of course they should. But we need to remember that historically, none of them last. The Mishkan is somewhere, right? but it it wasn't destroyed. While both temples were destroyed, Throughout history, all the synagogues that came and went, even where I live. So if you, there, there are books out there with it. The downtown Detroit, I don't know, 80, 80 years ago, 80 plus years ago, was a very Jewish area. And there were a lot of synagogues. And if you have someone who knows where they're going downtown Detroit, they can show you. They're all churches. But what happens is they're old stone buildings. So you see, like in the arches above the doorways, you'll see like a Mug and dove, right? a Star of David. You'll see Hebrew words. These were synagogues, but we left, we packed out, and those synagogues are no more. They might be churches, they might be buildings, who knows what they are. There's, uh, there's books you can get um, about what happened here, and I'm sure it's happened in many, many places throughout our long history. So it's just something to sort of like look back at and say that this tabernacle, there's something extra special that not one part of it was allowed to be destroyed. It was put away, while all the other synagogues, buildings that we built are, I don't want to say here today and gone tomorrow. They're not gone tomorrow, but to think that they're permanent buildings, even in the land of Israel. Forget out of Israel, where for sure nothing is permanent. But even in the land of Israel, throughout our history, nothing has a permanence. And therefore, and this was one of our lessons by Corona, by the way, uh, we may think sometimes that everything revolves around our synagogues, our temples, even our schools. But again, they're not permanent. So that means our relationship with God does not have to be tied down of course you need to go to synagogue and pray. Of course that's the best place to connect to God and you send your children to schools and you want them to be nice schools and beautiful buildings. Of course that's all true. And I'm not arguing that that point at all. But just to look at the picture to realize that if we think that without our synagogues, without our buildings, we're lost. We're not lost. It's just part of our history. You have a building today. The next day you move out, you got to build a new building. Very good. This is where we're going to pray. This is where we're going to study. All very beautiful. But it's not the end, right? It's not the do all, be all, however we say it. Fine. That's one thought I wanted to bring out about this concept. The second thought I wanted was that—this um, is Svernoi. Svernoi says that the, the the tabernacle was different because you had Moses in charge, you had Bitzalel, you had all the donations— came from within the Jewish people, all the builders were the Levites, and I was the team that was assembled to go from beginning to end were all special people, prophets. I mean, yeah, a bunch of rabbis sitting there cutting the wood, or their their wives making the tapestries. That's something that never, ever happened again. Because even King Solomon, okay, great, super special leader, but he hired out... Um, he had the king of Lebanon, right, of Tyre, that he was supplying the materials and he was supplying the workers and the stone cutters and the, and the craftsmen. So it didn't last, right? So it's, it becomes very, very interesting that when something is built, the more spirituality put into it, even though, again, it's just four walls, like what should be the difference, but the more spirituality that is that is involved in the creation of the building, um, the more beautiful it will be. There's actually an interesting Talmud. Um, I think it was of Hanina. I think. Hanin ben maybe. That he said he could guarantee the continuation of the Torah. He says, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to plant the flax plant. And I'm going to take the linen, and I'm going to make nets. and I'm going to use those nets to catch animals. And I'm going to take those animals like deer, and I'm going to prepare their skins to write the Torah on. And then I'm going to prepare the ink. And then I'm going to write down whether it was the Torah, whether it's the Mishnah, and I'm going to teach a few children, and they'll be responsible to teach each other. The point being that if the whole process from beginning to end is done with a with a with a spiritual focus, then that has staying power. So, therefore, the Mishkan, therefore, the Tabernacle never gets destroyed. While well, everything else, as much effort as we try to put into it, we're not having the kind of involvement that existed when the Tabernacle was built. Right? Who, who am I? I am not fooling anybody. Um, w- when we're going to build a building for a school, for a temple. um, We're not asking all the community members to come and start laying bricks. We're just not doing it, right? So let's be real. So no, uh, of course, we want as much spirituality involved as possible, but we understand it's not happening. Fine. So we're making an accounting. So again, very interesting. um, Who wanted the accounting? A very interesting question, a very interesting thought. Who was the one that wanted the accounting? So normally you assume it's the people who donated. But the first answer I saw this week is actually Moses wanted the accounting. The accounting was, why are you giving this money? Why are you giving this gold? Why are you giving this silver? Is not a good example. Why are you giving this copper? Why are you giving this wool? What are your intentions? The better your intention, the more pure the gift is. The more pure the gift is, the higher the purpose. And it should be used that way. So there's a story, it goes back in Europe, where a fundraiser for one of the big schools um, said to the head of the school, he said, You know, if I could have a carriage, I could just travel so much further. It would be a little more comfortable, be a little easier for me, and I could collect more money. So the head of school said, the was said, No problem we we'll get you a nice carriage, get you nice horses, even buy yourself a new suit. You go into these offices, you look like a mensch. No problem. So he pulls up to, um, to one of the farms, and the farmer sees the carriage and the clothes, and he says, I'm not giving you a penny. I'm not giving you a penny. So the fundraiser finished his rounds, whatever it was, a couple weeks, couple months. So the head of the school, Rashiva, looks through the list to see who all the donors were. And he says, what happened to this farmer that lives, you know, in this neighborhood? So I tell you the truth, I went to him, the fundraiser said. And he refused to give me a penny. He was all angry. I think he was angry at the at the carriage I had. He was all upset. He refused to give me a dime. So Rashiva said, I'm going to go visit him. And it, I don't know how much his donation was. I don't think that was the point. So the Rashiva, the head of school, goes to visit this farmer. And he says, you didn't give us this year. So I'm not giving. You're wasting all this money. Uh, I don't want my money going to a carriage, going to fancy horses, going to fancy clothes. I want my money going to the actual study taking place in the school. Okay, that's what he said. So the Rashiva said in this week's Torah portion in Bikudai, it talks about how there was an accounting, and how Moses wanted to know what everybody's intention was where is your level of intention you're giving cuz your friends giving you're giving cuz you want to give more pure thought less pure thought because depending on your level of gift not amount of gift but your your intention of the gift depending on where you were for your intention would depend how it was used you know in a school we need toilet paper We need napkins, we need paper towels, right? We need to pay someone to clean the floors. We also need to pay the teachers. We also need desks. We also need heat, right? So there's a hierarchy. Now, it's not like I sit there and say, okay, this guy's check will go for this, and this guy's check will go for this. Of course, everything goes into the general fund. Everybody knows that. And everything is valuable because you need everything to allow a school to operate. It's the only way. Or any other charitable organization. There's a lot of side stuff that must be covered. It's impossible otherwise, right? It's all one big pie. But the fact of the matter is, this Rashiva told this farmer, the better your intention, the 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 higher purpose God will sort of siphon out and say, your dollar went for this and your dollar went for this and his dollar went for that. All necessary. All's gonna be rewarded. But the more pure the intent, the 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 more beautiful your personal money will be used for. So the head of school said to the farmer, we have to have a carriage for the fundraiser. He has to have horses. Does it mean you're paying for the horse's food? Depends on your intention. If your intention is superstar, then your gift will pay for the people actually studying. If your gift is uh, not so good... It's okay to pay for the horses to eat. Doesn't mean it's not important. We need everything, but if you're worried, what you said you don't want your money being used for the carriage. If you uh, if you have a pure intent, a good intent, then God will take your money and say your money was used for a better purpose. That is the idea. That's one idea. That Moses wants to know their intention, to see where their money is going to end up going. That's one direction of why there has to be an accounting. A second reason for the accounting is the donors themselves wanted to make sure that all their money was used for the Mishkan. They didn't want anything put aside. And now I think about this all the time. Um, We're getting ready for a capital campaign, and... Nowadays, it's very normal that not only do you raise money to buy a building, but you want money also put aside as what we call an endowment. Like all the big colleges have them, um, you have an endowment to to guarantee that whatever services you are providing, um, there's money there to take care of it. And I sometimes wonder if that's a Jewish concept. In other words. I need money now, I have to build a building. I need money now, I have to pay my teachers. Am I supposed to be collecting money now to make sure there's money in 20 years from now? I don't know. It's a very, very interesting question. I'm not saying people don't do it, and I'm not saying we're not going to try to do it because it does help you in your yearly budgeting. There's nothing to talk about. At the same time as a Jewish thought, God's care of me today. I worry about today. I need to take care of my salaries today. I need to set up a building today. Um, Does God want me to try to say, God, I don't, you know, the next couple of years, God, I I have enough money. Um, We have this big endowment. So you could sort of, um, don't worry about us for the next couple of years. We'll take care of ourselves. We're good. I don't know. Right? It's a very interesting thought. And again, I'm not saying that organizations don't have these endowments. They're very, very helpful. And it just helps when you have special expenses that you, can, that you know are always covered. And then you can use your tuition for your regular salaries. It, it makes life um, breathable. Right? It and makes, it makes things much smoother when you already know what you have to rely on. Because donors come and go. Um, donors get older. Donors pass away. And you're, you're on to the next donor. I've had donors pass away. They pass away. You're not getting that money anymore. So gone. So it's just interesting. Now, um, by the way, interesting enough. Oh, so the donors themselves, right, wanted an accounting. We don't want to hear that you have, uh, you know, in your bank an extra couple bars of gold. We don't want to hear you have 20 bars of silver in the bank. We gave you our money. We want to know the money was used for building the Mishkan. That's why they wanted an accounting. Not so much that we don't trust you. Of course we trust you, Moses, but it's important for us to know that our money was used in the actual construction of the Mishkan of the tabernacle and therefore according to the second explanation which is the way you normally understand is the people want an accounting but not be, not a it wasn't a trust issue. It was we, we are so excited that a temple that a, that a tabernacle a Mishkan, is being built, we want to make sure our money was used. We don't want to hear that our money's in a bank account um, for a rainy day fund. We don't want to hear that. And and I hear such a thing, right? In other words, if I'm donating to your charity, I don't want to hear it's a rainy day fund when the stock market tanks. I want to hear that you use it for salaries. I want to hear you use it so the children could go on a trip. I want to hear it so that you could uh, air condition the classroom to make it easier for, for the children to learn or whatever organization you happen to be tied up with. And by the way, this an interesting number in this week's Torah portion is the number seven. Why is that interesting? So first of all, Moses is going to build the tabernacle of Michigan by himself, and he's going to take it apart every day. He's going to do that for a full week. On the eighth day, he puts it back up, and now it only comes down when we have to travel. But there were seven days in this week's Torah portion of Moses building it and taking it apart. So this seven, this concept of inauguration, right, after seven days of Moses building it, taking it apart, now we get the real McCoy, right? Now it's going to be built, and now it's not permanent, but it's set up not to be taken down until we have to travel. Where else do we see involved in the Mishkan, the temple, this concept of seven? So there were actually, and then the eighth one will be the final. So actually there were seven... I'm going to say Mishkan slash temples built um, in our history. You have the one in the desert. You have the one in Gilgal when when Joshua moves into the land of Israel and they start to conquer. So there's this area that they sort of was home base for the tabernacle. It was called Gilgal. That's the second one. Then you have Shiloh. Shiloh, it survived. The tabernacle was built. The Mishkan was a little more permanent. The walls were more permanent. Um, I believe it was around 365 years, 360-something years. Uh, That was the third one. Then that was destroyed. Then we have two places, one called Nov, one called Givon. It was very temporary. So that's already five. Then you have the first temple is six. The second temple is seven. So we actually have seven separate location buildings that were built to serve the purpose of the tabernacle slash temple. And then... The final temple will be built, the third Besamegdus, that will be built, and that's, again, the seven is is the inauguration, getting ready for the eighth one. So, hopefully, if I have enough time, we'll try to get through this. Um, I wanted to sort of put a, okay, I wanted to put a bow on top of everything. So, we started out, as I told you at the beginning, um, this is the final Torah portion in the book of Exodus. So, I just wanted to know what's the beginning, what's the end, what's the connection, what's going on over here. So the beginning of Exodus discusses the Jewish people going down to Egypt, becoming slaves. Um, then, of course, Moses comes down and the Ten Plagues. We go, out of, we go out of Egypt, and then we have the crossing of the Red Sea, and then we get the Torah. So we become a nation. There's slavery in Egypt, and then God taking us out of Egypt is what created the Jewish nation. But the Jewish nation is not complete. We got the Torah, that's true. But we need God's presence to rest amongst us. So we lost that ability when we had the golden calf. So then we go ahead and we build the Mishkan, the tabernacle. And by doing that, now God's presence is going to rest with the Jewish people. So the book of Exodus starts out with us being slaves. Because that's the beginning of the Jewish people becoming a nation. and then, But we're not a finished product yet. We become a finished product when God's presence is resting amongst us. And that takes place at the very end of this week's Torah portion. So that's, uh, I'll put a little bow over there for the beginning and end of the book of Exodus. Now it's interesting, King David's dream was to build the temple. He wanted to build a temple. But God says, your hands spill blood. You cannot build it. Your son, King Solomon, will build it. So the Imre Amis says, very interesting. I mean, this was King David's dream, right? This is all he wanted was to build a temple. So the Imre Amis says that King David has a very famous verse. He says, God, one thing I ask of you, to dwell in the house of God. So did King David get it or not? He didn't get to build a temple. So he answers, no. It's true the King David's desire may have been to build a physical edifice. But that wasn't the real goal. The real goal was to, as we say, to bask in the glory of God, to, to hang out with God. And that King David received. So as we said all along, we may want, we may desire to have the most beautiful synagogues, those most beautiful school buildings. We may want all that, But the real goal is to serve God, to have God hang out with us. And of course, there goes the music. And as always, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to wonderful sponsors and uh, listeners. You know, I can't do without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David, Sisko, and Andy in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.